Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Happy holidays. Glad you could join us this week. This week and next week, we're going to be counting down our top 20 sports business radio stories of 2008. This week, stories 20 through 11. Next week, stories 10 through 1. So uh, it's going to be an exciting next two weeks here on Sports Business Radio. We will post the stories on our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. You can catch any of our past shows there as well. It's been a fun year. We've had some amazing guests on the show. Uh, Jack Nicholas, Oscar De La Hoya, David Stern joined us again. Ted Leonsis recently, who owns the Capitals and Wizards. So it's been a fun year. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach and our producer, Bobby Corser. Uh, guys, uh, so I guess... You know, we put our heads together here, and we came up with what we thought were our, our top 20 stories of the year. If our audience disagrees, uh, drop me a note at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com and uh, tell us where we screwed up. Well, what always amazes me is every single year there's one big story, and you don't think you're going to top it next year. And there's always something that happens in the world of sports that's uh, pretty pretty significant. I will say this. The stories this year, especially the top 10, I don't think have nearly – the edge to them, the impact that the stories in last year's top 10. I mean, last year we were talking about the Mitchell Report. We were talking about the fall of Michael Vick. Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. I mean, there were some really huge stories last year. And when we were making this list, uh, there are some big stories this year, don't get me wrong, but I don't know that they had quite the effect. I mean, you look at the Mitchell Report, that thing is going to have an impact for, for years to come, and it changed drug policies and Ruined careers, which we will talk about uh, in our top 20 list. and But I just don't think this year's list, I don't want to take the, the wind out of the sails, but I don't think this year's list is quite as impactful as last year's well, list. Well, I would just say this list in the top five as last year, but th- there's some good stories in there. All right, coming up, our top stories, numbers 20 through 11, We'll talk to you in a little bit here on Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. Okay, we are counting down our top 20 sports business radio stories of the year 2008. Let's start with story number 20. Two legendary 
epic coaches decided to retire this year. Bobby Knight retired with a record of 902 wins and 371 losses. And Pat Riley retired with a record of 1,210 wins and 694 losses. He was elected to the Hall of Fame this year. Bobby Knight was already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Nathan, Bobby, two household names here. Bobby Knight coached for a long time in Indiana. He ended his career at Texas Tech. He's now working as a commentator for ESPN. Pat Riley still runs the Miami Heat as the president of their operation. But these are two guys that when you think about basketball and you think about public speaking and appearance fees and commercials, these are two pretty recognizable guys. Well, yeah, and I could see Bobby Knight going the uh, John McEnroe route, if you will, because if you look at John McEnroe and all the commercials he does with regard to throwing his tennis racket or having a temper tantrum, I could see Bobby Knight doing commercials like that, too, where maybe he throws a chair out on the court. So I think he's a very marketable former coach. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of that he wants to do. Uh, You know, he's always had advertisements on his sweater, and we saw that as he was walking the sidelines. But now, you know, I think you bring up a good point. He he could be a marketable guy, but he just doesn't seem like he wants to do a lot of commercials. I'm not sure that uh, at this stage of his life he's going to want to do those things. Uh, Pat Riley, you know, still making a lot of money as the guy with the Miami Heat. I wonder how long he'll be around, but... You know, and then you always hear the whispers of, is he going to return to coaching again? Would he coach another team? Would he step back onto the sidelines for the Miami Heat? I think he's done coaching. I really do. I think, you know, the Basketball Hall of Fame was his icing on the cake, and I think walking away now seems a lot more comfortable for him. See, and I disagree. I think I could see him coming back to coach. Once you're a coach, especially at that level, you always have that desire to get back in. We look at Phil Jackson. We look at Bill Parcells. They leave for a while, and then I think they get the itch after they've been gone for a while. See, but Parcells has done a nice job this year with the Dolphins just running their operations, letting Tony Sperano be the head coach. And, you know, as far as I can tell, he hasn't interfered with uh, his head coach and, and you know, so far, Riley hasn't interfered with Eric Spolster, the new head coach of the Miami Heat. So I think Riley is ready to close the door on coaching and, and just be a front office guy. All right, our 19th biggest story of the year, 2008. Champ Car and IRL merge to form one open wheel series in the U.S. And for this story, we bring in our producer, Bobby Corser, because I don't have much of an idea about Champ Car or IRL. So, Bobby, give us the uh, the meaning behind this big news. Basically, what happened is four or five years ago, you know, you had those two open wheel series competing with each other. You know, you had the IRL that had the marquee event in the Indy 500, and then you had Champ Car. Their basically big event was the Long Beach Grand Prix. Now, this goes back many, many years when the two series split, when it was formerly known as Indy Car, then it became Champ Car, and then the IRL broke off when Tony George, who owns the Indy Motor Speedway, wanted to create his own series, wanted to create American drivers, kind of do the NASCAR approach where, you know, it's recognizable guys in the U.S. driving cars on ovals. So basically it was a battle now, which series would get TV rights, which series would get the premier drivers. For the first few years, Champ Car really dominated. You know, they were the ones that were getting the big names, but they didn't have the Indy 500. They had competing races. So eventually, you know, stuff started to trickle over. Teams left Champ Car, went to the IRL, it got cheaper. They were able to get more money when TV contracts had to come up for renew. ESPN and ABC took over IRL, started broadcasting their races. So eventually it forced Champ Car to go bankrupt. When that happened, 
there was, you know, basically there was a peace offering and IRL reached out to Champ Car team and said, hey, you know, come on over. We'll, we won't, you know, penalize you for being with the other series for years. Just come on over. We'll be a big happy family. Everything finally got worked out. And this year they worked out a deal where now the IRL and Champ Car are now IRL. What does this mean for viewers and, and for the, the fans of each of the leagues? Well, as a Champ Car fan, me personally, I thought I liked the series much better. They had road tracks. It wasn't just, you know, turn left like NASCAR is. As a Champ Car fan, you basically said goodbye to the organization you loved. You know, everything became IRL-based. It was all run still by the IRL guys. You're kind of happy because you got Indy back, and now, you know, your drivers that you followed in Champ Car are driving, you know, at Indy. It's, it's the big American race. It's what people in open wheel look for every May. As far as trying to watch it on TV, we talked about this last week. They have deals with ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, Versus, Speed, and like three other networks. So the races are televised. The only problem is a majority of the U.S. can't see them because nobody has Speed, nobody has Versus. And, you know, a lot of people see ESPN and ABC, but it's so far and few in between actual like races on those. It's hard to follow the series. Well, and as we talk all the time, the more networks you're on, the harder it is to find you. I mean, you know, Major League Baseball playoffs, if they're on several different networks, you don't know where to find them. You know, and that's one of the difficult things for leagues like this. When uh, people don't know where they can consistently find you, they just get tired of searching and uh, they give up. All right. Our 18th biggest story of the year, 2008, the New York Knicks. They are in transition, and Isaiah Thomas is out, and Donnie Walsh is the new president of operations for the New York Knicks, and Mike D'Antoni, the former Phoenix Suns coach, plays an up-tempo style of basketball, an exciting brand of basketball. He was wooed away with a lucrative contract to come and coach the Knicks. Guys, the Knicks have been a laughing stock for a number of years, mainly because of owner James Dolan and his just ridiculous decisions. And one of his ridiculous decisions was bringing in Isaiah Thomas, who coached the team, was the GM, who had sexual harassment uh, claims against him, who got into feuds with players, and he finally pulled the plug on Isaiah Thomas. Now I get the feeling that the Knicks are on stable footing and in a few years, in that summer of 2010, when a lot of the free agents like LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh are out there, the Knicks have now made some trades by getting rid of Zach Randolph and Jamal Crawford to get under the salary cap and be able to offer max contracts to a few of these players. I see good times ahead for the Knicks, maybe not this year or next year, but in 2010, things could be looking up for them after bringing in Donnie Walsh and Mike D'Antoni. Well, we just talked last week about the fact that the Knicks, Forbes rated them the number one NBA franchise. So they're certainly... For value. For value. They're certainly a valuable organization. They're in the biggest market in the United States. And if they can bring in players like LeBron James, who's probably interested in going to a large market like New York, I think the Knicks could really turn things around. But... They had to do a lot of house cleaning just to get to this point, so I still think it's three, four, maybe even five years before they really start becoming one of the premier teams. Now, the, the Knicks did receive a lot of criticism when they made these trades, though, because some people said, you know what, this should be illegal. They've basically thrown in the towel for the next two years in order to get under the cap so they can sign some of these players. I don't know that I'd say they've thrown in the towel, but they've definitely uh, gotten rid of their best players, their most competitive players on their roster in an effort to get under that salary cap. And again, the free agents in 2010, LeBron, uh, Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, 
Steve Nash, Dirk Nowitzki, Amari Stoudemire. There are some players out there that could come in and, and really change the fortunes of the Knicks overnight. So that'll be an interesting story to watch. And, you know, anytime you're the NBA or any other league, you want your your teams in your big cities, your especially your East Coast cities where all the media resides, you need them to be competitive. And the Knicks have not been competitive for a long time. So if the Knicks can somehow revitalize their franchise, it's going to be a very good thing for the NBA. You know, I have a question for you. How does David Stern, though, honestly sit by just a few blocks down from Madison Square Garden and let the Knicks basically tank it? That's my question to you. That's his you know, closest basketball team. Wouldn't he want that franchise to you know, ultimately succeed year in and year out? I would think so, and, and I think the thing that he's happy about is they're not making negative headlines anymore for things like sexual harassment and all these off-the-court uh, indiscretions. And now at least we're talking about what players are they going to sign what kind of offense are they going to run with Mike D'Antoni? Things of that nature. So that's always a positive instead of having you know the off-the-court indiscretions being the number one story. And there's so many different media outlets in New York that if you do something in New York, it's blown up times 100. Well, yeah, and Mike, I would say that bringing in Mike D'Antoni would really help the organization. He's a great coach, but we saw what happened with Larry Brown a couple years ago, another great coach, and so now I'm still uncertain about whether D'Antoni can actually turn the Knicks around in the next couple years. Well, it'll be interesting. Mike D'Antoni, one of the knocks on him is that he's an offensive coach. He plays an exciting brand of basketball. Players want to come play in that system, but at the end of the day, when it's the playoffs and it's half court, He's not going to win a championship. Look, I think the Knicks would be happy with playing an exciting brand of basketball, selling a lot of tickets, getting people interested in their team again, and then you worry about winning championships down the road. All right, coming up next, we've got stories 17, 16, and 15. We're going to count all the way down to story number 11, and then next week we will have our top 10 stories of the year on Sports Business Radio. Happy holidays. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. (laughs) Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Welcome back. We are counting down our top 20 sports business radio stories of 2008. We've counted down 2019 and 18. This segment, we're going to do 17, 16, and 15. Then we'll go 14, 13, 12, and 11 in our next segment. And then next week, our final show of 2008. We will give you our top 10 sports business radio, sports business stories of 2008. All right, story number 17, Barry Bonds, the all-time home run king in Major League Baseball, 
unsigned in 2008. Uh, his contract with the Giants expired. Some people thought that the Giants might bring him out or back at a, at a greatly discounted rate. But, Nathan, not only did the Giants not offer him a contract, but no one else did either. Even late in the season when it looked like some teams may want to bring on a DH for the playoff push, no one touched Barry Bonds. He brings way too much baggage. I don't blame any team for not bringing him on. You know, I, I blame the Giants last year for keeping him around just because they wanted the publicity and the fans to come and watch him break that home run record. But you know what? What he did is tarnish baseball, and I hope that no one ever signs him again. Wow, what do you really think? Uh, I just told you. So, I mean, one of the interesting things, the side story to this, is there were many uh, media reports and, and suspicions about collusion. You always hear the C word when it comes to the owners. And did the owners, in fact, get together and say, you know what? No one touched Barry Bonds. And if they did, in fact, do that, then obviously that's not legal. But it almost seems like that's exactly what was done because I find it, you know, you see some of the signings that were done this year. And I'm not, look, I'm not trying to defend Barry Bonds at all. And I think. He did use performance-enhancing drugs. I think his record is tainted. But at the end of the day, a lot of these GMs, a lot of these managers make their money off of winning games. And if you can sign Barry Bonds and he's going to hit some home runs for you and you could throw him at the DH spot and he's going to be a big bat in your lineup, uh, I was a little bit surprised that not one team even sniffed him out as a possibility. Well, I think the backlash you'd get from your fans would be just overwhelming as a team owner. You know, the Giants fans supported him only because they wanted to watch history, but every other fan in the entire country hated Barry Bonds, and the backlash you might get as a team owner could outweigh the positives of of having him on your team. All right, our 16th biggest story of the year, 2008, Bobby's girl, Danica Patrick, Finally wins a race. She won the Japan 300 in April. You know, we've talked on this show just ad nauseum about Danica Patrick, Michelle Wee, some of these other female athletes who look good in the ads but have yet to deliver on the field of play, on the racetrack in this case. And finally, Danica broke through. Bobby, uh, this was really big for Danica and for her sport. Absolutely. It was huge. The only problem is nobody really saw it. The race was broadcast live on ESPN, except the only problem is it was coming down at like 2 a.m. Eastern time. I remember I was in Portland watching at a bar at 11 o'clock at night. I was like, wow, Danica Patrick finally won a race. See, Bobby admits that he was one of the few people up that late watching. <laughs> I was out I was out with friends, and it happened to be on at the TV at the bar. So I just you know sat down, and I watched a little bit of the race. Hey, when you love whatever sport it is, when you love it, I get up at 6 a.m. to watch breakfast at Wimbledon every year, and you probably make fun of me for that. No, breakfast. Well, breakfast at Wimbledon used to be good. I mean, look, Nadal and Federer. That was that was pretty good this year. But let's get back to Danica. You know, this really does give her so much more credibility than she had the year before. Because again, if you're a sponsor, you want someone who's won some races. A pretty face is great, but after a while, you've got to win. I mean, you know, we've talked about Anna Kornikova. She never really won when it came to singles. Maria Sharapova is so successful because. She's a top-ranked player. She wins championships. She's won the U.S. Open. She's won Wimbledon. Uh, She's known around the world. Now Danica Patrick, I wouldn't put her in Sharapova's class, but at least she's got some credibility and can say, I've won a race. She did very well in the Indy 500. Uh, It looked for a while like she might win that race, 
You saw how heartbroken she was when she lost. But I think she'll win another race in 2009. You know, it's funny. We talked about the TV contracts last segment with the IRL unification. Because the race was on ESPN and she won, you know, that immediately became their top story for the now in the U.S. the Sunday morning reruns on SportsCenter. ESPN and ABC also had the Long Beach, Long Beach Grand Prix. It was the final race of the Champ Car Series overall. They had to fill the contractual obligations to run the race. Well, ABC made the decision, hey, let's put Danica on a private jet. Let's fly her to Long Beach. She can be here during the race. We'll have her in the booth with us. We'll replay all of you know the exciting moments of the race. So not only were they able to get the free exposure on SportsCenter and ESPN for having the race, they got twice the amount of exposure. Her points, you know, even though she wasn't driving the Long Beach race, because the way the thing was structured, she not only won the points for the Indy race, but then she, when she was on air doing the commentary for the final champ car race, people were able to finally see her, see a side of her that, hey, look, she's now a winner. She's now a champion on the track. You know, let's, let's give her some more attention. She knows how to win now, and so hopefully she can translate that into more wins. And I think this year she has another huge year. I just don't want to see her in another GoDaddy.com spot during the Super Bowl because those are cheesy spots, and I think she, like, cheapens herself when she's in those spots. I mean, look, I would like to see her in some more commercials, but I'd rather see her with a sponsor that's not going to, uh, I guess, portray her in that manner. What about some more Maxim centerfolds and spreads? Well, I mean, I probably wouldn't hate that. (laughs) Would you? I'd probably read the articles. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Our 15th biggest story of the year, 2008. The Boston Celtics return to prominence by winning the NBA title. All right, last year, some of the biggest moves uh, in the NBA were made by the Boston Celtics. They traded for Kevin Garnett. They traded for Ray Allen. They finally gave Paul Pierce some help on that team. Uh, You know, they drafted some good players, and they put it all together, and Again, just like we were talking last segment, it's good for the NBA when the New York Knicks are succeeding because they're in a big market. Well, it's also good for your league when your storied franchises are returning to prominence. And to have a Celtics-Lakers NBA Finals last year, it was old school. A lot of people tuned in, and it was just really a good thing for the league. You could tell David Stern was very pleased. Uh, You know, no longer was it Magic versus Bird. But it was Pierce versus Kobe, and KG was in there. You know, anytime you have household names in the NBA Finals, it's a very, very good thing. And the brand of the Boston Celtics, which frankly had been a, a tainted brand for a long time, is now a, a proud brand that's returned to prominence. Well, yeah, it's great. I don't care if you hate the Celtics, if you hate the Lakers. It's great to see these storied franchises playing for the championship because it's like the days of old. I don't want to take anything away from the Tampa Bay Rays, which we may talk about later in this top 20. But anytime you see one of these storied franchises in the NBA Finals, it's special, and you want to root for them. And, and I just think that Boston now has put it together and done what hopefully – the Knicks will end up doing a couple years down the road. You know, it's funny we talk about Boston returning to prominence. These guys had to play second fiddle to the Red Sox and the Patriots. And, you know, so that would be third fiddle. Well, it would be third fiddle. <laughs> but, but, I, mean, I would say you hold the Red Sox and the Patriots together because they're both past champions. They're both dominating their sport. And finally now Boston, the Celtics have a chance to come along, and they took care of business last year, and they're taking care of business this year. Well, I mean, it was almost an epic year for the Boston sports scene. The Celtics win. The Patriots almost had a perfect season and almost won the Super Bowl. 
I know it almost doesn't count for anything, but uh, boy, there was a lot of hoopla around the Patriots uh, going into the Super Bowl this past February. And then the Red Sox made a good run, and they got into the playoffs, and they had a successful season. When you're looking at those three brands in Boston, the Red Sox, the Celtics, and the Patriots, you know, I don't know that there's too many other cities that can compete with those three teams. They're, su- they're at such an elite level, and they're organizations that are very, very well run. You look at those three front offices, and they're really at the top of their sports. Absolutely. You know, we've had a number of guests on from the Red Sox. We've had people on. Uh, from the Patriots, but you know, if you really think about it, though, Boston is truly a sports city. You know, I hate to even throw in the New England Revolution MLS team into this mix, but you also have to remember you also have a very, very talented NHL franchise in the Boston Bruins. So, I mean, if you're a sports fan in New England, you have to be a Boston fan. Oh, absolutely. And I was just going to say the same thing about the Bruins, but you know, you have to wonder what this is going to do. For the future of the Boston Celtics, you know, KG's a little bit older, and uh, Jesus Shuttlesworth, as I like to refer to him from He Got Game, uh, Ray Ray Allen's a little bit older, so they might not be as dominant for as long a period of time, just given the fact that these guys aren't going to be around that much longer. They're not a But I will say, I mean, this year I've been surprised, because a lot of people thought, okay, those three guys got their ring, the older guys. They're going to be satisfied with that. They're playing out of their minds this year, and it looks like they want to win another title. They're very hungry this year. So, you know, who knows? They may have two or three titles in that team, in that group. And, again, in this day and age, if you're Danny Ainge and you're Doc Rivers, you got to go for broke now. You can't say, well, i got to go out and make trades. And, I mean, you know, I'm getting off topic here, but a team like the Portland Trailblazers, they are built – to win a championship, not now, but probably in the next few years. And you could see them winning a few championships, like the San Antonio Spurs. The Celtics, this is a team that's built for now. They've got to win now. They've got to stay healthy now. And if they do, they might be able to win a few championships. All right, coming up in our next segment, we've got business stories 14, 13, 12, and 11. And these are pretty big ones. I mean, we've got some football, we've got some NASCAR, and we've even got an incredible new stadium that hasn't even opened yet, but is going to be hosting some pretty marquee events. All right, we're counting down our top 20 sports business radio stories of 2008. We will return. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. Really confused about the business side of sports? This is Sports Business Radio. Welcome back. We are counting down our top 20 sports business radio, sports business stories of 2008. We are now at our 14th biggest story of the year 2008. The Dallas Cowboys have a new stadium. Hasn't even opened yet. It opens for the 2009 NFL season. Price tag, 
over a billion dollars. Not a million, not a hundred million, but a billion dollars. And guys, the thing that's amazing about this stadium, one of the visions of, of Jerry Jones, by the way, the owner of the Cowboys, is that, like I just said, it hasn't even opened yet. But here's the list of events that are secured by this venue already. The 2010 NBA All-Star Game will take place at this stadium. So Jerry Jones and Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, have come together on that one. The 2011 Super Bowl will take place at the new Cowboys Stadium. The 2014 NCAA Final Four will take place at this new stadium. And the new stadium will also host the Cotton Bowl and the Big 12 Championship. So that's what I'd like to call... Getting all your ducks in a row before you even open your doors. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, this is the one plus for me for building these giant new stadiums. If you're in a city like Dallas, a lot of times we talk on this show about old stadiums and their historic value. But those old stadiums cannot bring in the type of events that we just discussed. And those events right there alone, the NCAA tournament, the Super Bowl, those are cash cows for the city of Dallas, and so this is just a money-making machine. Well, and the other thing about this venue, and and this is one of the things the NFL really liked for the Super Bowl, is the seating capacity. I don't have it off the top of my head, but it's it's near 100,000 seats, so it is an enormous facility. I'm going to be interested to see how they do basketball there. I mean, it's some of these other dome stadiums we've seen where they cordon off part of the stadium, but you know, how many people are going to come to the NBA All-Star Game, and to the Final Four. One thing I can tell you is that I think they'll have many more tickets that are available than they do for those events normally. You know, this is not just going to be one of those corporate events, which, you know, the All-Star Game has kind of turned into and the NCAA Final Four has, where it's just whoever sponsors it is the ones that get the majority of the tickets. You have to also have to remember the marketing deals that Jerry Jones has pulled off. We talked about this. He's also worked something out with the Steinbrenner family. In, you know, in conjunction with the new Yankee Stadium opening, they're both running the same concession company. Right. So not only are they having money with all these things coming in, they're making money hand over fist by controlling the parking, by controlling concessions, basically controlling every aspect of the stadium. It's nothing but a cash cow. Well, and the other thing you have to think about is 100,000 seats. Can Dallas actually house that many people in hotels? I know they look at all of this beforehand, but 100,000 people is a lot of people to bring into a city and put up for the night. No, it's a lot of people, but I think, you know, for these events, I don't know if they'll get 100,000, but they'll get, it'll be a pretty packed venue, and if it's not, they'll give away tickets and make it look like it's packed. You know, I think the official capacity is listed as at 80,000 for football. You know, we also got to remember, guys, you're playing NFL home games here for the Cowboys. And that's, you know, it's great to have all these marquee events coming in, but you're still making your money off of the home ticket revenues for, you know, was it 9, 10, 11? possible home games in an NFL if season. If you make the playoffs. If you make the playoffs. And so, with preseason. And, and absolutely. But that's, I think, really the big story here. Jerry Jones is now going to be making money hand over fist. I don't know if you'd be able to but spend it. But he's paid a lot. True. Over a billion dollars. Yeah, over a billion dollars. And, you know, they went over budget on this thing. So, you know, he's tried to take out another loan on this, which is another story altogether, as we've talked on this show uh, many, many times, how hard it is for sports owners to get loans. So, you know, I don't know that he's going to be rolling in the dough initially, but the good news is is that this venue has obviously attracted, you know, the top-line events that you can attract. All right, the 13th biggest story of the year 2008, ESPN scores the BCS Championship Series starting in 2011. Right now it's with Fox. It'll be with Fox till 2011. But, guys, you know, I, 
this has an impact on a number of different levels. One, obviously, it's on a different TV network. Two, ESPN seems to be the the worldwide leader, as they say, and and able to offer uh, a number of different platforms that are more popular than what Fox can offer. And then, you know, the other thing is is just, you know, how will this affect the current system? Will we see a playoff? Will ESPN and the executives finally convince the presidents of these schools that we should do a playoff, maybe a 16-team playoff? Or does this cement it in stone that, hey, for the next you know five, six, seven years, we're not going to see any kind of a playoff? It'll be interesting to see how this deal impacts the BCS and what kind of format we see. Well, and you just mentioned ESPN now being the worldwide leader of sports. It's always been their tagline, but I haven't always believed it. In the last five years, ESPN has really acquired most of the major sporting events now with the BCS, Monday Night Football, some huge golf events, tennis events. We talked about you know racing events. So they really have become kind of the focal point for sports as to where before you would generally go to the networks. You'd go to NBC, you'd go to ABC, or you'd go to Fox. Now ESPN is really monopolizing major sporting events. And you know, you got to remember, though, that ABC is also under the same corporate umbrella. So not only will they have all the BCS games, they still have the Rose Bowl, which has you know, always been their one game that they have access to, I think, through 2014. But now that they have all five BCS games, watch out. It's, it's going to be pretty intense. And I'm really happy, though, because now we don't have to you know, put up with the whole, you know, the whole thing being Foxified where they tie in every possible show they do. You know, they have American Idol sing halftime at you know, each of the games. It's, it'll be nice to kind of get back to a traditional sports broadcast and not have to worry about all the other kind of crazy sideshows that come along with Fox. Well, and the other thing, too, like we've talked during this show and all year long, it's, it's better when it's easier to find things on the dial. And if there's consistency and you know that all the BCS games are going to be on ESPN or ABC, it's just a lot easier to find these things. Again, I am not a fan of the current BCS system. Um, I'd love to see a 16-team playoff. Uh, it's the only system at all that I can think of that isn't decided on the field of play without a playoff. Yeah. You know, when you have computers and polls deciding your champion and dictating who plays in the national championship game, I just think it's archaic. I, I don't think that ESPN is going to be able to influence these college presidents at this point in time. There's too much money in it for the There'd university presidents. There'd be even more presidents. money in a playoff. There'd be more television right money, yeah, sure. But you got to remember the argument that the presidents will give. They don't want kids out of class for that long of an extended period of time. Yeah, and they'll also give you the same argument that, well, we want— Half of the teams in Division One college football to be able to go to a bowl game and to leave the season feeling happy, and their fans will feel very happy that they went to a bowl game. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. It devalues being in a bowl game when half the teams in Division One are making a bowl game. It, it's ridiculous. I'm on the fence, though, too. Like, I agree with the playoff system, but there is something kind of cool about the fact that for basically a week, there's like four or five football games on every night, it seems like. It's very similar to me in a sense that you, you like the NCAA tournament where there's a lot to watch. But no one cares. I mean, here, here's the thing, and we're going to do this on our site one of these days. I've wanted to do this for the last few years. I'm going to put up every single bowl game, and I'm going to test people, and you can tell me if you can name the sponsor of that bowl game. There are so many different sponsors of all these bowl games. That don't don't we sponsor twist. a bowl game? Is the sports business radio bowl? No, we, we don't. Did. No, we don't. I don't think so because I don't want to be cheapened. I don't want to be, you know, these games, again, 
didn't they already start bowl games? I mean, it's just it's it, coming up here pretty quick. Hey, it'd be cool though. It'd be the Rose Bowl presented by Sports Business Radio, wouldn't it? Yeah, I don't think we have that kind of cha- that kind of jack to, uh, <laughs> to come up with that. All right, enough BCS talk. It's making my stomach turn as we speak. The twelfth biggest story of the year two thousand eight: Jimmy Johnson three peats and really adds his name to the record books. At, He's at a level that not many people have been at. And, again, we bring in uh, Bobby Corser, our, our auto racing expert. Jimmy Johnson, his success of the last three years, try and put it in perspective. Basically, when you talk NASCAR racing, you talk about one guy and one guy only, and that's Richard Petty. He's the king. Everybody compares, you know, what he did on the track. But that... did he win three in a row? Yes, he did. Wow. But you got to remember, though, he set the standard of what, how you consider yourself a legend. I mean, there have been great drivers since Richard Petty. You had Dale Earnhardt Sr., Dale Earnhardt Jr., the Labonte brothers, whole list of guys. But to win three NASCAR titles back-to-back-to-back is pretty much one of the hardest. Didn't, like, Cale Yarborough win? So he was the last one to do it, I think. Yes, he was. Okay, so he was the last one to win three in a row. And in this day and age, it's so competitive, and there's such technology uh, for Hendrick Motorsports to be able to get Jimmy Johnson to a level where he can win three in a row. And keep in mind, in his same garage, Bobby, you've got Dale Jr. And who else is in you his have garage? Jeff Gordon. Yeah, I mean, so for him to even beat those two guys in his own garage, explain to the layperson the technology differences between those three cars. They're all with the same race team, Hendrick Motorsports, mm-hmm. but how are their cars different? And is Jimmy Johnson just that much better of a driver than Gordon and Dale Jr., or does his car have something extra that those other cars don't? You know, NASCAR is really, really tight on how much technology you can put into a car. From from a basic standpoint, all three cars in the garage are the same. And then the setup goes to the crew chief and the driver, how the cars, you know, how you handle your car. You gotta remember, back in the day, it was who was ever the best driver and who could get the fastest stock car. Basically, who, you know, who was the most talented person? Who had the best friend that knew how to, you know, add that extra horsepower? These days, it's who's all about the setup, where you put certain things on the car. I mean, listen, everybody has to try and find that advantage, and that's why NASCAR is really kind of cracking down. We saw stuff even this year at the Daytona 500 and going back to last year. Remember the black eye that NASCAR took where people were modifying, you know, fuel additives and a whole number of things? And even Jimmy Johnson's crew was penalized for some stuff. Well. Well, here's what's here's what's wild about Jimmy Johnson is to the casual layperson who Bobby just described this to, if you asked him name a, a NASCAR driver, what are ninety nine percent of someone that's not familiar with sports? Dale racing, Earnhardt Jr. Dale Earnhardt Jr. And yet we're talking maybe about, Jeff Gordon. And and mm-hmm. I think I'm not an expert in racing, but Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon by all accounts, are more successful on the track than Dale Earnhardt Jr. And that's just marketability right there. Yeah, but I think Jimmy Johnson is going to become more marketable. I think being a, a three-time champion is going to make him more marketable. But it is interesting. I mean, I've read articles that say, you know, Jimmy Johnson walks down the streets in New York and no one recognizes him. I mean, you know, that's akin to... LeBron James winning three championships in a row and walking down the streets of New York and no one recognizing him. And I'm not saying the NBA and NASCAR at the same level. And I know in NASCAR they have the helmets on and they're in the car. And, you know, LeBron is running up and down the court and he has a lot more face time. But I just think it's amazing that more people, if if you're talking about the most underappreciated, underrated athletes in sports, I think Jimmy Johnson has to be at the top of the list. I completely agree with you. 
and this has been done, there's been multiple studies done, if you show people a picture of a driver, they will not be able to identify them. However, you show them their car, they'll right. exactly tell you everything about them, where they're born, how many wins they've had, who their wife is, how many kids they have. It's just one of those funny things that we see them identified by their car, by their sponsor. And you know, we talk about return on investment all the time on the show. Well, there is no bigger return on investment than having your driver win three titles in a row. There just isn't. Well, right. and that's one of the things about marketability. I mean, you, in essence, in most cases, are going to be more marketable if you're not wearing a helmet, if you're not wearing a mask, if your face is constantly out there like LeBron James, you're going to be a more marketable athlete. All right, our 11th biggest story of the year 2008 and our last story of this week's show, Brett Favre unretires and then is traded by the Green Bay Packers, the team he had played for for many years and became the face of that franchise. He's traded to the New York Jets and the Packers opted for Aaron Rodgers, and we've seen how this has worked out. And the reason this is such a big story is not only what Favre has meant to the Jets on the field, but what he's meant to the Jets off the field. Ticket sales, merchandise. He has the number one selling jersey in the entire NFL this season. He's one of the top sellers on eBay. Uh, The Jets are moving into a new stadium. They're selling sponsorships and Sweets, and this is a guy who is as identifiable in the United States as any athlete there is. So when you can add an an iconic name to your team, it's going to mean big bucks, and it's meant exactly that to the New York Jets. Well, and I talked about this last week on my uh, return on investment, and I still it was such a terrible decision for the Packers to trade Brett Favre. He was the face of the Packers franchise. Obviously, we've seen the success that Brett Favre has had on the field as opposed to Aaron Rodgers, but he brings so much money into any organization that he goes to, even if he stays with the Packers. People are just dying to come watch him play regardless, just the way they've done in New York. Well, I guess the lesson here is if you have an iconic athlete and they are the number one brand for your franchise and the face of your franchise, if they want to stick around a little extra longer, let them do it. If for no other reason, you're going to sell a lot of tickets, you're going to sell a lot of merchandise, and you're going to keep your fans happy. I think if... The people in Green Bay had a mulligan. I would bet you that they'd say, all right, Brett, come on back for one more year, and then we'll bring on Aaron Rodgers. Well, it's not like he couldn't play. I mean, he made it to the NFC Championship last year, so he can still play. He's not a lame duck quarterback. All right, we're going to come back and put a holiday bow on this edition of Sports Business Radio. And next week, we're going to be counting down our top 10 Sports Business Radio stories of 2008. We'll be right back. Feliz Navidad. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, 
We'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back with this final segment on this edition of Sports Business Radio. We have counted down stories 20 through 11. And next week we will bring you our top 10 Sports Business Radio, Sports Business Stories of 2008. And, uh, you know, anytime there's an Olympic year, it tends to dominate the headlines. But there have been some other things that have been pretty big this year, and uh, we'll be talking about those next week. We will post this list 20 through 11 and then 10 through 1 on our blog at sportsbusinessradio.com. Guys, uh, I want to I want to wish you a, uh, a Merry Christmas, uh, safe travels for the holidays, and wish everyone out there a, a very Merry Christmas as well. It's been a fun year. Yeah, yeah. We got uh, any any New Year's resolutions, Brian? Well, we'll save those for next week's Ooh. show because we've got one more okay. show, and you know. I'm still thinking of mine, so uh, I need another week. How about how about Christmas gifts from Santa? Um, I don't know. You know, I don't think in my own of what I want anymore. I think of you know what do I want to get my daughter? I've got a, a four year old daughter, and it's much more fun getting her a gift than it is. I've already got everything I need. Tis the season of giving. That's right, Bobby. Uh, what are you looking for for uh, for Christmas? By the way, happy birthday! First of all, yeah, big four zero. Yes, thank you. We already discussed that last week. No need to uh, <laughs> address that again. But I will say that uh, you guys were present, and several other people were for a surprise party last weekend. I had no idea about it. That's why they call them surprise parties, and uh, was very uh, blown away by that. So that was a, a good time. All right, lots of thank yous: Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, ProTrade.com, and Evergreen Media Training, a podcast reminder. You can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. You can listen to us through your web browser or through iTunes. Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.